Would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16? I want to talk to you this morning on a subject matter, Stewardship Matters. Folks, you know, as we think about the church and everything we are going through and have been through for a number of months now, there's so many uncertainties in the world. And so many uncertainties about the future. But there is one certainty that never changes. And that is that you and I are to live as stewards. Regardless of what's going on in the culture. Regardless of what the climate might be. We are to be stewards of everything God has entrusted to us. And so as, as you think about 2021 and whatever opportunities, whatever challenges God may have out there for you and your family, think about this issue of stewardship. Stewardship matters. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? We'll be reading from verse 1 down through verse 13. Luke says that Jesus also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The sons of this world are are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, speak to us through your word. This is your word that we have turned to and read. And God, I pray now that you would open our hearts and minds, open our eyes and our ears, that we might hear and see what your spirit is saying to the church. The church collectively and each one of us individually. Lord, I'm only a man. I can only speak to ears. 
But I pray that you would speak to hearts. I pray that you'd use this message for your glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, folks, many times we live our lives with the mistaken impression that we are somehow or another our own. That we can do with our lives whatever we wish to do. But you know, the Bible tells us that for the Christian at least, we've been bought with a price. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Folks, you and I must live as those who will one day have to stand before the Lord of the universe, the sovereign God of the universe, and we will have to give an account of our lives and of everything that God has entrusted to us. And that's the central truth of this parable. We are stewards. And as one commentator points out, this is a parable told to disciples because hopefully it's disciples of Jesus Christ who understand and realize this situation, this reality of stewardship. Disciples live with the daily challenge of being stewards. And so Jesus tells his disciples a story about money and the use of money to make a point about stewardship. Now yes, it's a parable that deals with money, but let me say that that's probably just an analogy or indication about everything else in our lives too. Because so oftentimes what we do with our material possessions also reflects what we're doing with other issues in our lives as well. Now obviously we know that everybody, lost people included, will have to give an account to God in this regard. Just before they hear those frightful words, depart from me, I never knew you. But we know that even disciples are going to have to give an account. And we know that stewardship is something that impacts our discipleship. But the reverse of that is true too. Discipleship affects our stewardship. Hopefully meaning that the more we grow in Christ, the more we mature in the faith, the more we realize that we are indeed to live as stewards. Jesus reminds us here in verse 10 and following, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who's dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you've then not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now as we think about this story here, would it surprise you to learn that there is one topic that the Lord Jesus spoke about even more than he spoke about heaven and hell? That topic was money. 
When we read the first three Gospels, one out of every six verses deals with either the use or abuse of money. Sixteen out of thirty-four parables that Jesus told deal directly with money. There are over 500 verses in the Bible that deal with prayer, but there are over 2,500 verses in the Bible that deal with money. Now, Jesus didn't talk about money so much because he was obsessed with it, but he knew that we would be obsessed with it. God is interested in how you and I earn our money, how we share our money, how we spend our money, how we save our money. But again, I want to emphasize, this is more than just our pocketbooks. That's something tangible. That's something measurable. But this also has to do with everything about our lives. Because indeed, stewardship encompasses everything about us. So Jesus tells a parable that addresses these issues. Now, here is a story about a dishonest manager. It is a story about price fixing. It is a story about stealing. It is a story about dishonesty. It has all of the ingredients of a modern-day business story. Now, two New Testament scholars, Dr. Craig Blomberg and Dr. Simon Kistemacher, have said that this may just be the most puzzling and difficult of all of Jesus' parables. And yet, there's some very valuable lessons in it. Lesson number one I want you to see with me this morning. A follower of Jesus Christ must be faithful. We're introduced to a certain rich man who had a steward. Now the Greek word from steward comes from two words. One referring to a house and the other meaning to manage. And so a steward was a house manager. Now that was a very common practice in ancient times among the wealthy. So that they could pursue other interests. If their other interests were nothing more than leisure and travel. They would have a house manager, a steward, who would look after their business, look after their household, so they could turn their attention to whatever they wanted to give their attention to. And so this was a very common practice, even in the first century world. These ancient house managers had what you and I would refer to as the power of attorney. They would manage the business affairs, sometimes even the personal affairs of their boss. Now folks, this is a a picture of everybody on planet earth. We are stewards of everything and owners of nothing. Somebody has defined stewardship as that area of life where men make money, but where God makes men. 
You may not realize it, but you are a steward of everything you are and everything that you possess. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 says that there is one thing that is required of every single steward and that is faithfulness. I want you to think with me about that again. The one thing required in a steward is faithfulness. Men think of success and numbers, but God thinks in terms of faithfulness. And that's why in the parable of the talents that Jesus told, where one one servant received five talents, another two and another one, the guy who received two talents received the very same praise from his master as the guy who had received five talents. Because he was just as faithful at what he had been given as the guy who had five. And so again, it's this issue of faithfulness that God judges by. So while men might dream of being successful in the world, men might even dream of being millionaires one day, God is concerned about are you being faithful right now with what He's already given to you? Can you be trusted with more? And I think about the times that we're in, COVID or no COVID. How are you and I at being faithful? Are we still being faithful stewards of everything God has entrusted to us? Well, let's think about some of the things we're called on every day to be faithful with. Let's list some of those things out. First of all, we are to be faithful stewards of our time. We're not to waste time. We're not to kill time. We are to use time for the glory of God. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 that we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. We're to buy back some of the time that we've wasted. We're to redeem the time and use it to the glory of God for the days are evil. So much of our time has already been wasted. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 3, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans do. Peter's saying, just think about those wasted years. Now what are you going to do? Now that you're redeemed, now that you're a child of God, what are you going to now do with the rest of your life? Paul says in Romans 13 verse 11, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to awaken from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. All of us have the same amount of time, but we don't all use it equally. What are you doing right now to be a steward with your time? What are you trading a day of your life for? There's a guy by the name of John Taylor. John Taylor recently invented a clock, maybe you've read about it some, called the 
chronophage. Literally, it means time eater. It's made of pure gold. It was made at a cost. Time, you'd think of the materials, the engineers that went into the making of the clock. It's worth $1.5 million. And he donated it to Corpus Christi College in Cambridge in the, in the UK. It combines the Greek word for time, chronos, and the word phageo, meaning to eat. And there's a monster looking, there's a big wheel. It's stainless steel and gold. It's heavy, big. And they, they've hung it across the road at a bank that the college uh, now possesses and houses part of their library in. And it's outside hanging on the wall there. And on top is this wicked looking, some prehistoric like grasshopper, like something you would see out of a horror movie. And it sits on top of, of this gold-plated wheel. And it has this mouthful of teeth. And it devours every second with the movement of its jaw. And then there's a chain that rattles in a tiny wooden coffin at the back of the clock. And then it slams shut marking the tolling of the hour. John Taylor says it's the sound of his own mortality. The pendulum swings erratically. It will slow to a near stop and then race ahead, reminding us of occasions when time flies or almost seems to stand still. The timepiece is accurate only once every five minutes, but uh, there are blue lights that, that play and give off an optical illusion. They will whirl around the clock one second and then suddenly appear to freeze the next second. Showing again how sometimes it seems like time flies, sometimes it seems like it stands still. Sort of like Einstein said with his theory of relativity. Einstein said that an hour sitting next to a beautiful girl might only seem like a minute. But a minute sitting on a hot stove would seem like a day. John Taylor says clocks are boring. They just tell time and people treat them like boring objects. But he said this clock actually interacts with you. One reason he built this clock and spent all that time and money on it was to remind everybody who walked down the road and looked at that clock was to remind them that time is not to be taken for granted. Our biggest issue with time is how to organize and plan and make sure that we're using it for the right purposes. And our biggest issue might be being convinced that we don't have a lot of time. Some people live like, live like they've just got an indefinite amount of time. And so they're not careful what they do. Folks, we need God's wisdom so that we will live a life of stewardship when it comes to our 
I think of the lady in church that was fumbling through her purse when the ushers came by with the offering. She's fumbling through her purse. She dropped it and a TV remote control <laughs> dropped out. And the usher bent down to help her gather everything up. He said, ma'am, do you always bring a TV remote controller to church? She said, no, sir, but my husband wouldn't come to church with me this morning. So I figured the meanest thing I could do to him was to take his TV remote. Now that's a guy who's wasted his time. (laughs) We're stewards with our time. We're also stewards with our spiritual gifts. If you're a child of God, you have at least one spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ. And for the body of Christ to be able to carry out its ministry to its members and also to its community and the rest of the world. Now, folks, we know that Jesus loves his bride, his church. And the Bible says it is his desire one day to have presented before him a beautiful and a pure and a spotless bride. What kind of bride are we presenting to Christ? And when you think about it, folks, I I mean, I certainly understand the times we're in with the pandemic and the fear people have. But still think about it. Every Christian has a spiritual gift and the Bible says your gift might be to be an eye, a nose, a mouth, an ear, hand, foot. What kind of body are we now presenting to Christ? Are we presenting to Christ a maimed and a crippled body. Whatever we're going through in society at any given time, Christians have to still realize we're the body of Christ and we've been given a spiritual gift to work that for the glory of God in the body of Christ, for the good of the body of Christ and the reaching of the world. So whatever is going on in society... The question for me and the question for you, I think Jesus would ask, what are you doing with your spiritual gift? However challenging times might be, what are you still doing to be a steward, a faithful steward of the spiritual gift that Christ has entrusted to you? Because again, we want to present before the Lord a healthy body. Stewards of our spiritual gifts. Folks, I I am concerned about this because you read George Barna and other church growth experts and they're saying while maybe as much as half churches now are staying away and people watching online, even those watching online, that has begun, according to them, that has begun to drop off at an alarming rate and they're now telling us that many of the people in churches across America are never coming back again. They're never going to be seen in our churches again 
What are they doing with their spiritual gift to be a faithful steward? We're still faithful stewards of our time and our spiritual gifts. Faithful stewards also with the gospel. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. In 1 Corinthians 4, 1, Paul says, This is how we should be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Think about that, folks. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Think about the message we have here. The mysteries of God. How God has worked through the ages, climaxing in Jesus Christ, death, and burial, and resurrection to redeem a lost humanity. And this plan of God, this mystery of God's is unfolded before our very eyes in the pages of Scripture. And Paul says, you and I as the church are stewards of this. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the gospel. What part is each of us playing in that? Being a steward of the gospel. And then of course we're stewards with our finances. Jesus said, do not store up your treasure on earth. We're stewards of each and every dollar that God puts in our hands. Sometimes we think only rich people need to be concerned with this, but steward is a, a stewardship is a matter of what you do with however much you happen to possess. It's just as important for a man who has a hundred dollars in the bank as a man who has a million dollars in the bank. In fact, Jesus gives the principle, if you want more entrusted to you, you've got to be found faithful with what He's already given you. So just look at what you already have and what are you doing with it. Could God entrust you with more? You know, as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about this, all these lottery winners. You know, last year in South Carolina, the largest lottery winner ever, $1.5 billion. This year's is the third highest. Somebody from Michigan has purchased a ticket almost a billion dollars. You know, these lottery things used to be thousands of dollars, then hundreds of thousands, and then millions. And, and now we're getting into the tens and even hundreds of millions of dollars. And yet you read the lives of people, the testimonies of people who have won these things, and they'll say, as they look back now, it's the worst thing that ever happened to them. Some people say it ruined their lives, it ruined their families, it ruined all their relationships, and they wish they would have never won it could they go back and do it over again. And you know what comes to my mind? Maybe this has happened to them because before, before they had abundance, they weren't being faithful with what God had already entrusted to them. I think that's probably the issue. By the way, did you hear about the preacher up north? I think in Indiana or Illinois that years ago he was preaching so fervently against the lottery until his wife won it. That's a true story. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see a follower of Jesus Christ must be 
prepared. We are accountable. I want you to think back to this story a minute. The steward had to face the master. The master was a real person. Folks, despite what people think, God is real and you and I one day are going to each have to face Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Revelation 20 says there God is seated on a great white throne and everybody's gathered before Him and heaven and earth flee from His presence. What an awesome sight it is, the judgment seat of God. And you and I one day have an appointment there. This steward had to face his master when he was called in. And when the master learns about his dishonesty, he demands an audit and he fires the house manager. And so that tells us with every responsibility and with every privilege comes accountability. Accountability. What if an audit were done on your life right now? What would God's verdict be? Am I being a faithful steward? Each one, ask yourself that question. What if today, because the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. What if today I'm called before the Lord of the universe and there's an audit of my life? The saved are going to have to give an account. Now, there's no fear of condemnation or loss of salvation because Romans 8.1 says there is now therefore uh, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But folks, there will be a loss of reward. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, some will have their work stand. It will be like silver and gold and other precious things. Things, But others will have their work tried and it will be like wood, hay and stubble and it will be burned up and yet they will be saved yet as through fire. Everybody's got to live their lives prepared knowing at any moment, a moment unknown to us, we may be called for that audit of our lives when we stand before the God of the universe and we have to give an account. So we've got to be faithful. We've got to be prepared. Thirdly, Jesus said, a follower of Jesus Christ must be wise. We are admonished here to be wise. Now look at what the dishonest steward does. He summons each of his master's debtors and he finds out how much they still owe. The first one owes 100 measures of oil. Now folks, we're dealing with huge amounts here. 100 measures of oil was 868 gallons. That was the amount that an orchard of olive trees with 150 individual olive trees would produce in a harvest. So we're talking about huge amounts. And what does the steward have this debtor do? He has him cut it. To 50 measures. Again, a huge reduction. 
And then the next one says he owes a hundred measures of wheat. Again, very large amount. He reduces it to 80. According to Dr. Simon Kistemacher, the interest on borrowed oil was 100%. And the interest on borrowed wheat was 25%. And so what the steward in essence is doing is transforming all of these into interest-free loans. Now what effect would that have had? Well, the debtors would have been thrilled. The manager would have made instant friends out of these debtors. Now they're not just indebted to the master, but they're also now indebted to the manager for doing something like this for them. And so while the boss was going to be taking his paycheck, the manager's paycheck out of one pocket, he's putting IOUs into his other pocket. But there's another twist to this story as well. It was against Jewish law to charge interest to another Jew on anything loaned. But managers got around this all the time. Kistemacher gives an example. I will pay Reuben 10 quart of wheat on the first day of Nisan. And if I do not, then I will pay 4 quart of wheat annually in addition. Now that was an illegal note that would have got a house manager in deep, deep trouble. And so here's what they would do instead. I owe Reuben 14 quart of wheat. The interest is included in it, but nobody knows that because it's not itemized. So he says they got around these things all the time so they would still charge interest even to their fellow Jew. So what this guy has done by reducing the interest, he's making a hero and an honest man out of the master. Now his master could have been angry at losing all this interest, but if he gets angry, his, mas- his manager can expose his greed and get him in trouble with the people too. And so now what he's done, he's made his master look good and look generous. Now everybody's walking around town talking about what a great guy the master is. And so how can he now be angry at his steward? And then look at verse 8, what Jesus says there in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, here's a twist to this parable nobody would have expected. The Lord commends, the master commends the steward. The steward was a crook at the beginning of the story. He was a crook in the middle of the story. He was a crook at the end of the story. And yet, he is Commended. Strange. But what we need to see is Jesus is not commending this guy's dishonesty. That's not the point. Without commending his dishonesty, Jesus is commending his shrewdness. This is a slick character. He was a character who was about to go down for the count. He's about to be fired. He's about to lose his reputation. Probably won't be able to get another similar job because his reputation will be shot. But in the midst of it all, he makes a slick move to prepare for his future. 
And that's the point. He prepares for his future. He's wise. That's the lesson. The sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own often than are the sons of light. You know, people in this world know how to survive, don't they? When it comes to business, people know how to plan. They know how to invest. And yet so many people do not invest for their future spiritually speaking. They're living only for the moment, living only for themselves, using their time, using their gifts, using their resources for themselves how they want to right now. And they're not even thinking about that day that they've got to stand before the God of the universe and give an account. Some Christians even are squandering away their very lives. Some churches don't. Invest in the future. Dr. Craig Blomberg, who I mentioned at the beginning, he talks in his study of this parable about how churches need to be more shrewd just in the daily matters of of the operation of the church. We need to be shrewd. We need to be wise, for instance. He says, particularly in this godless culture about our governing documents. Would our governing documents stand the scrutiny of the world if something happened? He talks about our committees, putting people on the committees who have the gifts to do that. Human resources experience, financial experience, putting people on committees so that committee so that the church can be run in the highest measure of professionalism that it could possibly be run in. So if the world, something happened and the world put us under a microscope, we would be seen as being very wise stewards. Then Jesus tells us in verse 19 to thir- 9 through 13 how we can be wise. He says in verse 9, Make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness that when it fails, because one day, guess what? It will fail, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Have you ever heard the phrase, you can't take it with you? Well, somebody else has come along and said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Now, the way you invest in heaven is to invest in what's going to heaven. You invest in heaven by investing in what's going to heaven. Men and women and boys and girls. And Jesus says, make friends that when your money fails and even when your life fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. In other words, you'll have treasure on the other side waiting for you. Because you've been rich towards God. 
You can waste your money, you can spend your money on all the toys of the world, or you can use your money and resources to send missionaries overseas and plant churches. You can spend your money however you like, or you can spend your money buying Bibles. You can invest in yourself, or you can invest in the next generation of young people coming up. The question is, is God getting our best? Is our best going to things that are going to be eternal? Or are we giving our best to that which is temporal and of the world and will not last? G. Campbell Morgan, a very famous preacher well-known preacher of a previous generation, told of being in the home one time of a very wealthy church member and Christian. And they were sitting down to a meal and having family prayers, and, and the man was praying, and praying for, for the salvation of the lost, praying for missionaries all over the world, praying for the spread of the gospel. And according to G. Campbell Morgan, where he wasn't one to make things up. According to him, when the gentleman finished his prayer, the gentleman's son looked over at him at the dinner table and said, Dad, if I had your resources, I could have taken your bank account and just answered the prayer that you just prayed. Spend your resources in such a way that when you die and stand before the Lord, there's other people there, like the song says, people there who are saying, Thank you, I am a life that was changed because you cared and you gave and you shared the gospel with me. No wonder Proverbs 11.33 says, He that winneth souls is wise. There'll be people over there. When things in the world fail, people over there, your treasure in heaven, and they'll be saying, Thank you for your faithfulness because you gave, because you came and shared the gospel with me, because you made certain to invest in others. I heard and I believed and I'm here. Then in verses 10 to 13, look at what Jesus has to say, and I'll wrap up here. There's a parallelism being used. What is least in verse 10 is the equivalent to the unrighteous mammon in verse 11. But then what is much in verse 10 is the equivalent of the true riches in verse 11. You see, the least things to God are earthly financial matters. Because after all, God owns it all anyway. As the psalmist said, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a way of saying He owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so earthly financial things or earthly temporal things are nothing to God. But if we're faithful in that, verse 11 is saying, and the things that really matter to God, if we're faithful in this, then the things that really matter to God, He can entrust us with those things too. 
But if he sees that we're not being responsible with these temporal things, how can he entrust eternal things to us? Stewardship matters. Stewardship matters. Are you being faithful? Are you prepared and are you being wise? Because there's no way around it. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. We are to live now and invest now for that moment coming up. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me, please. Think about your own life right now. One of these days, there you will be standing before the God of the universe. You can deny that. You can think you can put it off. But you can't. One of these days, there you will be. And you will have to give an account. Be faithful with your life now. Everything you are and everything you have. What do you need to walk out of here this morning thinking about that you need to change so you will be found faithful one day? I have a feeling that there are some things already that are coming to your mind as well as things coming to my mind that need to change if we're going to be found faithful. Don't be wise to the things of the world and be negligent towards the things of God that are going to last forever and ever. Right now, how do you need to be investing in heavenly things? How do you need to be laying up treasure in heaven? How about your life, your time, your spiritual gifts, your relationships, your finances? Everything God's given you. What do you need to do to make certain you're laying up treasure in heaven? There may be somebody that needs to come forward this morning and say, Pastor, I'm not even saved. But I need Christ. The first thing I need to do to be prepared to be a faithful steward is I need to give my heart and life and soul to the Lord Jesus. Folks, that's where the journey of stewardship begins for the, for the Christian. I would love to pray with you this morning. Father, speak to our, all of our hearts this morning about this issue of stewardship. Lord, to live is to be a steward. Even if we're being bad stewards. But every day of our life, we're trading time. We're trading resources for something. God, I pray that we would live wisely. That we would not be living thinking that everything around us that we can see and touch and feel is going to last. Because it's not. This world is passing away. And the things of this world are passing away. So help us to be rich towards God. 
and investing our lives in things that are going to last for all of eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.